Good morning, church. How are you doing? All good? Yeah, all good. Hey, I just want to um, I just want to honour Amber and the staff here just for keeping this place operating, keeping this place running. It's a lot of challenges this week. They do an awesome job, so um, let's honour them, eh? Let's honour them for just, uh, yeah, the job that they do. It's, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Hey, no, it's, it's just, as Amber said, it's just so good to, to be in church uh, this morning. It's just so good, eh? You think about it with everything that's going on around us and all the challenges and all the difficulties. You know, we can still gather. We can still come here and we can still worship God and we can still celebrate and we can still praise and, and hang out. And how, how good's that? That's just, that's just so, so good, eh? So we're doing a, we're doing a series at the moment uh, which follows the, the growth track that we're doing, which my wife Tracy's taken the Seek, Seekers Age Group out to do, which is exciting. And so the growth track follows some themes about your Christian walk, about learning your gifts and, and your talents, about learning how to, things about how to serve and your, your purpose and those sorts of things. But it certainly follows some, some key, three key themes. And last week we had Ian, who took us through the theme know God, and this morning we're going to focus on the theme, find freedom, or finding freedom this morning. So we're going to look into that. Um, when we think about, you know, we think about that word freedom, and I think if we're honest, you know, whether, despite your beliefs, or whether you're a believer or not, you know, everyone wants freedom. I think that's a fair statement, isn't it? Everyone wants freedom. Everyone wants a life that is unhindered, a life that is unrestricted, a life that is a life to the full and the, the fullest expression of, of who you are, of your personality, of your gifts and your talents and your desires. You know, everyone, everyone wants that. And when we think about that, we look back in, in history and you can see that this whole concept of freedom has brought about speeches orations that have been, you know, arguably some of the best speeches in the world. It's brought about uh, wars, it's brought about protests, it's brought about all sorts of stuff. So this whole concept that we think about generally around freedom is, is so um, important. We know deep within that it is so important. We know deep within that it is, it is vital. And so in, in uh, the book of Galatians chapter 5, verses 1, it says this, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So Christ has set us free for freedom's sake, which makes the whole concept around freedom pretty important, doesn't it? You know, for the sake of freedom, because of this whole idea of freedom, you know, Christ has, has set us free. When we look through the Bible, Right from the start to the finish, it's God's whole agenda, God's whole focus about freedom and setting his people free. It's just something that is so important to him, so vital to him. We, we see it right throughout the Bible. So what does that look like? How does that happen? What, is, what does that look like in terms of God? And what does that look like in terms of our Christian walk? And that's what we're going to look at um, that's what we're going to look at this morning. So we're going to look through a few passages of Scripture this morning. We're going to look through some passages where some people have met God, and then we're going to look at some principles of 
finding freedom through encountering God and, and, and meeting him. All right, is that cool? Cool, okay. Well, let's, let's pray. Father, I just thank you that, Holy Spirit, God, that you're with us this morning. Thank you for your presence here. Lord, I just thank you that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, there is liberty. And Lord, I know that your, your heart on freedom is, is, is so huge that you want us to live free lives. You want us to live unrestricted, unhindered lives according to all that you'd have for us, according to your purposes and your plans. And, and Jesus, it's so important that you, the precipice of it all, as we've talked about through communion, that you died on the cross, that you sacrificed your life and was resurrected again, Lord God, that we might know freedom in you and freedom in the Holy Spirit for our lives. So I just pray that as we look through these passages of Scripture, as we look at this message, as we focus on this whole idea of freedom, that God, that you would just show us what that is for us, that you would literally, by your Spirit, set us free this morning, Lord, that we would know you more, that we would meet you and encounter you and know freedom from that. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. So we're just going to look at the first passage of scripture is from the book of John and uh, in chapter 21. And so just to give some context initially is Jesus has just died on the cross recently and he's, and he's been resurrected. So he hasn't long been resurrected. So we're going to look at John chapter 21, starting at verse 1. And it says, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we are going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he'd removed it, and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits or 200 yards or meters dragging the net with the fish. So this is a really, really beautiful passage. It's a really beautiful passage of scripture. It's a really beautiful scene when we think about it, when we look at it. And as I've said, Jesus has recently risen from the dead and he's on the beach. The disciples don't recognize him. They've fished all night and they've caught nothing. They hear this guy on the beach say, cast the net on the other side of the boat, on the right-hand side of the boat. They get a miraculous, miraculous catch. And one of the disciples says, it is, it is the Lord, and he, and he recognizes him. And so what I want to focus on is verse 7 and 8. 
And so verse 7 in that chapter says, Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard, Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits dragging the net with the fish. So just I, just, I think this whole passage and the whole scripture gives us some license for some imagination to actually look at that scene and to think about, you know, what was going on? What did that whole scene look like? You know, what, was the, the, what were the disciples thinking? What was going on? What would that response been like when the disciple recognised it was the Lord? And so I like to think about it like this. You know, one of the disciples recognises it is the Lord, and then the disciples say, hey, Peter, do you mind just, you know, pulling up the anchor? And they, they say that, and all of a sudden they hear the splash. And, you know, Peter Peter is in the water, and he is just going for it. And all that matters for Peter is that Jesus is on the shore. Jesus is there. And so he's doing everything that he can, as quickly as he can, with all his strength, with all his might, swimming and lunging and doing everything that he can to get to Jesus. You know, he's thinking, you jokers can you know, continue on and you can come in your boat, you can get things ready and, and come back, but as undignified and as, as foolish and as radical and as just out there and extreme as it would have appeared and would have, look, Peter is like this, look, as far as I'm concerned, Jesus is there, he's on the beach and I am going after, if it means grabbing my outer cloak, if it means grabbing my garment and jumping into the sea, I'll leave these jokers behind. I'm, I'm going to go for him. I'm going to go after him. And you just picture it. Just imagine that scene. Let's just imagine it. That What a, what a beautiful scene. I wonder what the embrace would have been like when, he met, when Peter met with Jesus again. I wonder what it would have looked like from Jesus's, when he was looking at his point of view, when he was looking at Peter, and he sees Peter swimming with all his might, probably his best freestyle attempt or, or breaststroke attempt, and, and, and just, or maybe it was just a real mangled swimming attempt, but whatever it was, we know that he would have been going with all his effort, and just to see him getting closer to shore and lunging, lunging, and imagine that scene, imagine the embrace, you know, how cool is that? When we think about it, we just want to put this in context a bit here because just remember that it was not long ago that Jesus went and died on the cross. It was not long ago that, that Peter had denied Jesus three times, three times. Just, let's just imagine what might have been going on in, in Peter's head. You know, let's just imagine the thoughts and the accusations that might have come to him. You know, he, look, he would have been like, even prior to jumping off the boat, even jumping off the boat, even in the act of getting to Jesus, I can just imagine the accusations and the thoughts that would have come to his mind. Peter, you, you said you'd go all the way with Jesus. You said that you'd go all the way. You said that you'd die with him. Look, you, you just denied your Savior and your Lord three times. Who do, you, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are thinking that you can go and approach Jesus? Who do you think you are that you think that you can just go to Jesus with such freedom, with such liberty, in such an undignified fashion? Hold back a bit, Peter. Look, you can't reproach him now. Look, look, look what you've done. Look what you've done. But the thing about Peter is that his single focus, his main 
focus, his single purpose in that beautiful passage of Scripture, in that beautiful moment, is that I am going to get to Jesus with, with whatever it takes. I'm going to get to him. And even though all that would have been going on, his eyes were off himself, off, him, off his circumstances, off even his recent failures, off his recent past, and all that mattered to Peter at that moment was Jesus was there. His Lord was there. His Lord was on, on the beach. And, and, that's, and that is freedom. And so the first point is we can find freedom in worship. We can find freedom in worship when we look to Jesus, when we look to God with the help of the Holy Spirit, when our eyes are off our circumstances, when our eyes are off ourselves and our lives. What happens is we meet with God, we encounter Him, and then we allow Him to speak into our lives. We allow him to minister to us. We, we see him. We see him for who he is. And God is truth. And God is life. And God is the way. And he is the best to speak into our lives. He is to be ministered by his presence into our lives. That's the best thing that can happen. That is freedom. That is liberty. I don't know. I've experienced it countless times. Where I've, I've, I know what I'm like. I know, I know what I can be like. You know, I know some of my failures and my sin and things like that, but it's just the liberation of being able to look to God and look to Jesus and worship Him and just be taking in that moment and just looking to Him as the most freeing. It's just a wonderful freedom. So that's the first point, freedom in worship. Freedom in worship. We're going to look at another passage of Scripture, the second passage of Scripture and this is found in the book of Luke, chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. And this is about a story about a short man called Zacchaeus. And it starts, starting at verse 1 in Luke, chapter 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. Since Jesus was coming that way, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll, I'll pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. It's another beautiful passage of scripture it's another one passage of scripture where you can have some license and let your imagination go but what would that have seen have looked like what what was that like for Zacchaeus what was going on in the crowd what was it like for Jesus what was going on at that particular time it's a wonderful scene where we've got this man who is vertically challenged in the situation of being in a crowd and so he knew that he wasn't going to be able to see Jesus. And so he made this decision that he was going to run ahead of the crowd. He made a decision that he was going to climb a tree to see Jesus, to see him, to get a position to, to see him. 
I know that there were some mutterings afterwards, as was in the text, that when Jesus invited them down and said, today's the case, I'm going to stay at your house, that there was mutterings afterwards of the crowd saying, look, this guy, do you realise who you're dealing with, Jesus? If you knew his backstory, if you knew that this guy is a, is a thieving scoundrel, if you knew that this guy is a chief tax collector and in that particular day, the chief tax collectors, I don't think, had a very good image. You know, it was prob- very possible that they thought Zacchaeus was probably taking a bit, you know, much, a bit more money than, you know, what uh, was his fair, fair due in terms of the taxes, and hence he was, he was wealthy. And so they were pretty annoyed. But I wonder from the crowd, I wonder from the crowd whether there might have been mutterings beforehand, whether spoken or unspoken, when they saw Zacchaeus, who obviously they knew, when they saw Zacchaeus running ahead, when they saw Zacchaeus climbing the tree, I wonder if there'd be mutterings where the said or unsaid, Zacchaeus, what are you doing, Zacchaeus? You, it's a, you're being foolish, Zacchaeus. What are, you, what are you up to now? Climbing a tree? What are, you, what are you, get down from there, Zacchaeus. Get down, you look foolish. You just, it's, what are you up to? But, but Zacchaeus is undignified in his whatever he was wearing, as, as foolish as it might have appeared, Zacchaeus was just like, I, I, I just want to see the guy. I just want to see the guy. I just want to see Jesus. I just want to see him. I just want to see him. <clears throat> How much do you want to see God? How much do you want to encounter him? Enough to be a bit undignified, a bit radical, sacrifice a bit. Set aside time to meet him, to seek him. You know, Zacchaeus would have looked like a fool, but again, like Peter, there was a single-minded focus. I just got to, I, I just got to see him. I just got to see him. And then in that moment, Zacchaeus is up the tree. Jesus, you can imagine, if you think about Jesus' perspective, he's around this crowd, this crowd's around him, and he looks up and he sees Zacchaeus in the tree, and he says, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. And he says, today, today I'm going to stay at your house. Today, this very day, I'm going to stay at your house. Zacchaeus comes down and he says, look, Lord, I... I wouldn't give away half my possessions. I, I, I'll give away half of my possessions. I'm just going to give them all away. Half of my possessions I'm give away. If I've cheated, if I've wronged anyone, look, I'll, I'll repay fourfold. I'll repay four times the amount. When we meet with Jesus, when we encounter him, when he comes into our place, when he comes into our life, into our house, it changes and transforms our life. He changes and transforms us for good. Comes through meeting him. Comes through encountering him. Comes through relationship. Comes through communion. Comes through intimacy with him. Comes through his word. Comes through knowing him. Comes through worshipping him. Comes through relationship. He changes us. He transforms our life. Zacchaeus a complete transformation. Look, I'll give half my gifts away to the poor. What a, what a response that was, meeting 
Jesus. It's the same for you and I when we meet him. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 2, it says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. He's talking about, I think it's mainly talking about when, his second, when he comes back to earth or when we die and we see him face to face. He says we'll be like him, but I think, I, think it's, fear, I think it's fair to apply that principle as well in our lives. When we see him, when we encounter him, when we look to him, when we just go, I just want to see Jesus. I just want to see him high and lifted up. When we see him, we become like him. We become as he is more and more so. What an amazing thing to have, eh? to meet God, to encounter him, to know him, and to become more like him. I mean, that's what it's all about. That's what it's about, isn't it? It's just, that's so what it's about, eh? It's about him and becoming more like him and a witness to the world of who he is through our lives. So we find freedom in encountering and, and meet and worship. We find freedom in meeting with God and he changes and transforms our lives. And we also find freedom in a relationship with God and that we're emboldened, that he gives us boldness, that he gives us his life and we can live a bold, emboldened life. In the book of Acts, chapter 4, verses 13, it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. In Proverbs, it talks about that the righteous are as bold as a lion. When we have faith in Jesus Christ, we take his righteousness. We're justified. We're forgiven. God sees us as righteous in Christ. And it says that the righteous are as bold as a lion. When we think about those elders and those rulers in Israel when they saw the disciples giving testimony and, and, and preaching, think about what they attributed that to. The only thing that they attributed that to was the fact that it was simply that these guys have been with Jesus. Not training, didn't have lectures, didn't, didn't have um, all the background and the education, weren't equipped in any particular way but that they'd been with Jesus. And through a relationship with him, and sure, it's good to study, and it's good, I'm not saying, I'm not against that, it's good to do study of all kinds, absolutely, but the core of it, the principle of it, the primary thing is being with God and meeting him and encountering him in a relationship with him. There's a number, number of years ago now, and I'll just take this glass, actually, it's going to be easier than drinking the water bottle. But a number of years ago now, um, I'd only been a Christian for maybe a year or two years, and my nana had, uh, 
invited me along to this um, Christian couple who were ministering in the area here locally in Blenheim. I remember, I remember I was really excited about it because my nana said, look, this couple is really powerful and they really minister in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They really minister in the Holy Spirit. They're, you know, it, it's, it's going to be, uh, she really talked it up. And so I remember working that particular morning and then I remember going along to this event and I was excited and, and, and I come in and there was worship music and then the guy did, he did a couple of sessions. I thought, man, this is pretty cool. This is, this is really awesome. This is really powerful. And they ministered right throughout the day and, and into the evening. His wife was uh, ministering and, and speaking in the next session. And I looked at her and I looked at her and I thought, she looks like a nice sort of lovely lady. She looks like a quiet lady. She hasn't said anything yet. I think this is going to be a nice sort of teaching message um, she, she, it'll be interesting to hear what she's got to say. But this lady got up, and um, obviously her husband introduced her, took the microphone, and literally from right from like the first sentence, this lady was absolutely on fire. Like, I don't think to this day, um, I don't think to this day, potentially, I don't think I've ever seen such on fire preaching in the Holy Spirit, I was blown away, I was like, things had just got real, like this lady is bringing the heat, like she is bringing the, the fire, this is amazing, and I didn't say that out loud, because the person next to me might have been like, it's quiet, I want to listen to her, but I, I could have said it loud, it might have been a good thing, but but this lady was really just bringing, it was the, one of the, it was a witness of just seeing someone you know, preach, not striving, not but just literally empowered by the Holy Spirit. And it was an amazing thing to see her operating in her gift, her preaching gift, teaching gift, or, or you know, preaching gift at least, and that she was just empowered by the Holy Spirit right from the get-go. She was just talking about freedom in Christ and the victory that we have in Christ and all of that, but she was just going for it. And it wasn't a struggle for her. She was just, you could see that she was just empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that's what God wants to do in our lives. He wants us to live bold lives. He wants us to be empowered. He wants us to be, he wants our, our lives to be empowered. He wants to embolden not just our lives, but our gifts. He wants to embolden our, our talents. He wants to embolden and bring alive our personality, our, our nature, who we are. And the thing is, you might say, oh, you, you could be you know, here this morning and think, what gifts or talents do I have? I'm telling you, you have gifts and talents because you are created by God. He's created you and he's given you gifts and talents. He's given you a personality. You, know, you might have the same name as someone else, but you've got an individual name before God. You know, he knows you by name and he's given you gifts and he's given you talents and he's given you personality and he's given you, he's created you in his image. He's made you fearfully and wonderfully made. And the Holy Spirit, God wants to bring you alive, alive in him. You know, he wants to give you life and life to the full, that you would be alive and on fire in him. In First Corinthians chapter 12, it talks about our gifts and talents. It talks about giftings. And there's a whole range of different giftings 
Um, there's a whole range of different giftings there. But God gives us natural gifts. He gives us, he's given us talents. He's given us, gives us spiritual gifts. And he wants those to be stirred up. He wants those to come alive. But the way that we do that is through relationship, is through meeting him, is, is coming in to relationship with him. And he empowers us and brings us alive. We don't have to do it ourselves. We don't have to try and muster up and, and, and be, have more of a personality as such or anything like that. But God does it. God does it through his Holy Spirit. He brings the true life through our lives. I was at a, um, I was at a man's um, funeral about two or three months ago, which is um, quite a regular occurrence for me now because I'm a funeral director. Um, but this man, he was uh, quite a well-known um, businessman in Marlborough, and he was also really involved in the uh, he was involved in the community and that he was involved in Rotary and different things like that. And I remember there was uh, some testimonies of his life. So people got up and, and, and gave some tributes of his life. And uh, one of the tributes was talking about him and saying, um, look, when we, when we went out to a social situation or I, I met with such and such and they'd go back and tell this particular uh, man whose funeral it was, um, he would say, oh, did you sell them a ticket? Did you sell them a ticket for whatever Rotary or event that they have on? Did you, did, you, did, you, did you ask the question? Did you sell it? And they're like, no, no I, was just, I was just meeting with that person socially. I didn't, I, it wasn't on my mind. And he's like, oh, no, you've got you to seize the opportunity. You've got to take every opportunity. And I thought, obviously, that guy, a business, he was a businessman. He had a, a, a sort of sales gifting and a business-type gifting. And it just got me thinking, you know, we've all got gifts and we've all got talents, administration, creative gifts, we've, we've got spiritual uh, gifts, we've got different gifts, and, and as, we come to, as we come to God, he reveals who we are, and reveals our gifts, and reveals our talent, and reveals our, our personality, and he wants to bring those things alive, whether natural or spiritual, because it's, it's so that we would have, it's to glorify his name, but also so that we would have joy, and be fulfilled, and live a fulfilled life. Yeah, just in, just in closing now, um, I've been thinking a lot about two um, really significant leaders in the, in the Bible, um, that being Moses and Joshua. And obviously Moses led God's people, the Israelite people, through the wilderness. He, he, um, they were in, in slavery to the Egyptians, and then there was those... There was plagues, 10 plagues, and the Israelite people were separated from the Egyptians at the time, so they didn't suffer the plagues, but there was those plagues. And then there was the Exodus where um, Moses, through the power of God, uh, led the Israelite people um, from Pharaoh and, and from the Egyptians. And you, the, the, the Red Sea, Red Sea closed on the Egyptians, the Israelites were saved. And then uh, Joshua was Moses's understudy. Um, he was his assistant and ended up um, being his successor. But both times, both times before uh, Moses and before uh, Joshua embarked on the, the significant part of their, their calling. So just before Moses went to deliver the Israelite people and the 10 plagues happen, they both encountered God in a very real way, in a very powerful way. And I just want to talk a little bit about that right now. So 
they both encountered God in a very significant way just before they walked into the real significance of what they were called to do where they would have to really trust and believe in the power of God. And in both situations, they encountered and they met God and God said to them, take off your sandals or take off your shoes for you're standing on holy ground. And I was think, I've been thinking about that for, for a long time. I've been thinking about that for a while. And perhaps we can get the, the music team just to come in and um, just when you're ready, put a few more minutes, but just get ready to play um, one or two more songs and have an opportunity for ministry at the, at the end as well. But I was thinking about that in the context of us meeting with God and encountering him. And when you go into someone's house, when you go in to meet with someone, when you go into someone's house, one of the first things that you do is that what you do, you take your shoes off, don't you? You take your shoes off for the purpose of going into the meeting house, of going in out of respect for that person. You're going to meet them. You're going to spend time with them. And I was thinking that in our relationship with God, and as a Christian walk, the beauty of what Jesus Christ has done is that we can talk to him um, all day, you know, we can talk to him any stage of the day at any particular time, and that's wonderful and that's amazing. But I also strongly believe that we've also got to be intentional about really meeting with God, just like Peter, and, and just like they had a sole purpose to encounter him and to meet him. And when we take our, that picture of taking our shoes off or taking our footwear off, what we're saying is that this ground, that this space, that this time, um, that this, this moment, whatever it might be, is holy unto you, God. It's a holy moment. I'm intentionally separating myself. I'm intentionally separating myself from the noise of life, from other priorities, other things that are, that are going on. I'm setting aside time to spend with you. And I really believe that God wants us to do that regularly. He wants us to do it daily. He wants us to be intentional about setting aside time for him. It's wonderful that we can talk and have, have freedom to do that right throughout the day at any time you want. It's wonderful, but I really believe that he God really wants us to meet with him. If you were to ask me, Ryan, you know, what, is, what does a successful Christian life look like? You know, what does a significant Christian life look like? What, what would that look like? How do you be a significant Christian? How do you walk this walk to the utmost that you can? How do you, how do, you do it? Um, how does, someone, how does someone do that? I, my answer would be quite simple, and it would be this. It would be to meet with God again and 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 again. Every day, every moment, in whatever situation, in whatever time that you can have, 
and whenever you can and however you can and whatever way you can, whether it be worship, whether it be prayer, whether it be meditation on his word, whether it be thinking about him, whether it be looking to him, whether it be having a lot, whatever it is, that's how you live the Christian life. It's not about how, what rules, what principles, what do you put in place in your life, not about that. It's about meeting with him. And that is my biggest encouragement, that is what we need to do. This is how we live a life of freedom. We meet with him. We meet with him and we be intentional about it and we say, God, I'm, I'm, this time I'm meeting with you. I'm, I'm meeting with you. It doesn't necessarily mean we have to strive to force something, but it means that we say, God, I'm yours and I'm coming into your presence. I'm coming to meet with you. My life is yours. And, and after we meet with him, it's then we can go, God, all that I am is yours. My personality, my gifts, my talents, my character, the mistakes that I've made that you redeem and work together for good. My whole life, I, lay, I give it to you. And in that, we come into a place of rest. We come into a place of realizing that Christ is our hope, is our freedom, is our life, and that we can live through him. Because it is all from him, it is all through him, and it is all unto him.